You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. in some of the most dreaded places. Sometimes God will plant a believer in a very, very bad, dark place. Why? So that the believer will shine the light of Jesus Christ into that dark place. I struggled where I worked for a long time. I knew the Lord wanted to use me. I struggled where I worked, even though I loved it, even though I loved the kids at Wildwood High School. I struggled working there because I wanted to serve the Lord. But what I didn't realize is the Lord wanted to use me there. Ministry is where you are. Nations, neighborhoods, or even homes without God can be very dark and difficult places. But those broken places are the very places that need the good news of God. Pastor Dave will teach today that God may send believers into these dark places in order to shine His light to these needy people. The Lord will use you where you are. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18 as he begins his message, Fire from Heaven. First Kings 18. First Kings 18. This is an exciting chapter. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about going over this verse is because I was there. I stood on the top of Mount Carmel, and I actually got to teach this on top of Mount Carmel when we were in Israel. And I was like, so tired. <laughs> we had been on an airplane for nine and a half hours, and we had been touring all day, and Mount Carmel was our last stop. But boy, we'll get to that part when we come down here. But it was a wonderful experience for me to teach in Israel on the top of Mount Carmel. So um, open up your Bibles to 1 Kings 18. Let's bow our hearts before our Lord, shall we? Most gracious and heavenly Father, What a delight it is to come before you now. Our hearts are on fire for you, Father God. Oh, Lord, how we love you. We thank you, Lord, now that we get to go through these passages of Scripture that you've ordained for. Lord, help us, Lord, to glean from these Scriptures what you want us to know. What is it you want to speak to our hearts about, Lord? Our hearts are open. Help us, Lord, to lay aside anything that might be hindering us from coming cleanly and boldly and comfortably to you. Help us, Lord, to just look to you for all the things that we might need, Lord. So I thank you, Father God, that you've allowed me. What a privilege and what a, it's just a wonderful honor to be able to handle your word and to be able to teach your children, Father God. So thank you, Lord. I ask, Father, that you would help me to step aside and allow your spirit to speak boldly tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we did meet Elijah. And when we first met him, he walked into the presence of King Ahab and he declared that there would be no rain. There would be no rain except if he said that there would be rain. 
This is what he made in verse 1 of chapter 17. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gleed said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be not dew nor rain three these years except at my word. So he declares this. And as soon as he made this prophecy, the Lord told him to leave. The Lord told him to go away from here, you're in danger, and go to a place called the Brook Sherith. So he went there. He obeyed God and went there. And for three years, he hung out at this brook, and he was provided for miraculously by God. Ravens came in and brought him food in the morning and food in the evening. He had the brook to drink. So he was provided for miraculously by God because of his obedience to God. When the brook began to dry up, God then called him and said, leave and go to another place. And he sent him to a Gentile woman in Zerpath. Zerpath was a place for refining. It was a place for fine-tuning. It was a place for molding and strengthening. It was a place where Elijah would go, and the Lord once again would provide miraculously for him, but the Lord would also use him miraculously during this time as he trusted in the Lord. It was a place where he would teach, but he would also a place where he would be taught. It was a place of courage because it was only several miles from Jezebel's hometown. So it took courage for him to go there, but he followed the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. God sent him there. And when he obeyed the Lord, he went there. And when he arrived, the Lord uses this Gentile widow in a miraculous way. He, they got there, and you know the story. And Elijah said, give me some water. And as she was getting him some water, he said, oh yeah, and by the way, go and make me a cake and that we might eat. And she said, well, I don't have anything. There's just enough for me and my boy. I'm gathering sticks here so that I can make one last meal, and then we're going to die. And he said, no, 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 go in and make me a cake first. Make me a cake first, and you will not lack any flour or oil until it rains. The woman obeyed Elijah's word. She was really obeying God's word. In fact, she was commanded by God to go and do this for Elijah. But she obeyed. And what happened? God, again, miraculously provided. He miraculously provided for this woman, her son, and Elijah for almost three years. Almost three years. And near the end of those three years, a tragedy happened. Her son died. He got sick and died. The son got sick and died. The woman was mad at Elijah, thinking he might have had something to do with it. So Elijah picks up the boy, carries him upstairs to the boy, a room, lays him down, and lays on top of him three times. And he cries out to the Lord for mercy, cries out to the Lord for justice, cries out to the Lord. And as he's doing that, the boy miraculously comes back to life. And this is basically the first mention of resurrection in the Bible. And I love this because I've told people time and time again, and I don't mind saying it to you again. Resurrection is God's strong suit. It's his strong suit. God takes that which is dead and makes it alive. Prime example, a walking dead. I was dead in my sin, but God has made me alive in Jesus Christ. 
He has made me alive. And I'm no longer dead in my sin. My sins have been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And now I am alive. I have been reborn. I've been born again. And now this life I live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. And I walk by faith. God raised me from that dead state in sin and gave me new life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. So God's strong suit is resurrection. He was a strong suit in my wife and I's life because our marriage was dead. But now it's alive. God made it alive because we both turned to him. We both turned to him and cling to him and cling to him this day. And God made the marriage alive. God's strong suit is resurrection. Eternal life. So the boy lived. And because of everything that this woman saw and heard, the flower, the oil never running dry or running out, the boy's resurrection, all of a sudden, she puts her faith and trust in the Lord Jehovah. Listen to what she says at the end of 17, which is verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. She knew that. She saw this. She heard it. She believed it. And it became truth for her. So as we now come into chapter 18, the Lord commands Elijah once again, and he says, go back to Ahab. Go back to Ahab, show yourself before the king. It's time for the drought to end. Let's look at 18, 1 and 2. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Remember, the northern kingdom became Samaria because its capital was Samaria. It became known as Samaria. So Elijah, once again, in obedience to the Lord, goes and he presents himself to the king. He wants to find the king. This time, he's armed with good news. He's armed with a new message. Rain is coming. The drought is going to end. Elijah simply obeys God. I love, I love this about this guy. He just simply obeys the Lord. Now, Though everything happened because of the prayers of Elijah and his prayers were sensitive to the leading of God, make one thing clear. The drought did not begin, nor did it end as a result of Elijah's will. It began and ended because God said so. God was in charge and he used the man named Elijah. It's an example of how we should pray when we desire God's will to be accomplished. And our greatest example is Jesus Christ, once again. Jesus Christ is always our example in the garden. In the garden, he prayed three times, Lord, take this cup from me. He's talking about the cross. Take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's one of the best prayers we can pray. If you're truly following God, if you're truly following the Lord, that's what you want. You want his will. You want his will accomplished in your life. And that's a beautiful prayer. Jesus knew what awaited him on that cross. He knew what awaited him with the beatings and the scourgings and all those. He knew what awaited him. And the fleshly in him, the humanity in him, said, Lord, can we find another way? Isn't there another way for salvation? But 
Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. What a great way to pray. What a great way to humble ourselves before our Lord and pray. So Elijah is sent to King Ahab. Let's read 3 through 6. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Keep that in the back of your mind. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 in a cave, and he fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. We meet a man named Obadiah, a very interesting character. One that the scholars struggle over. The scholars struggle over Obadiah because they question his integrity. Here's why. His name means servant of God. But... If we read, he feared the Lord greatly, but yet he is serving not only a wicked king, but one of the most notorious wicked kings that Israel has ever had or will ever have. So they question his integrity. They question it. He hid prophets from Jezebel's grasp. Obadiah was a brave man. He stood up for God and his prophets at a difficult time. I like what John Corson says about Obadiah. He said, quote, Although some question Obadiah's integrity, I'm not so sure we can judge him so easily. After all, in Philippians 4.22, rather than condemn the believers who are of Caesar's house, Paul greets them. What does that tell you? You know what I drew from this? I drew from this that sometimes God plants believers in some of the most dreaded places. Sometimes God will plant a believer in a very, very bad, dark place. Why? So that the believer will shine the light of Jesus Christ into that dark place. I struggled where I worked for a long time. I knew the Lord wanted to use me. I struggled where I worked, even though I loved it, even though I loved the kids at Wildwood High School. I struggled working there because I wanted to serve the Lord. But what I didn't realize is the Lord wanted to use me there. Ministry is where you are. You don't have to go someplace else to be in ministry. How many churches do you know that have a sign on the door that says, when you leave this building, you're entering a mission field? Mission field is out there. Mission field, some of us living a mission field in our homes, our children, our brothers and sisters. That's a mission field. God wants to use you right where you are. Some people say, I'm going to wait until I'm in full-time ministry before I start witnessing. No, no. You're supposed to do it now. Don't wait. Everything that you do is going to be done all along. Another thing worth mentioning about Obadiah here is that he seemed to be quiet about his faith in Jehovah. Obadiah was quiet about his faith, maybe out of fear of being killed. I don't know. One commentator said this, not all God's servants are supposed to be in the public eye like Elijah and the other prophets. God has many servants in many places doing his work. Many servants in his places doing his work. Let me name a couple. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, Pharisees. When did Nicodemus come to visit Jesus? At night. You never hear him saying anything about any other time, do you? 
about Joseph of Arimathea. You don't really hear anything about him, but they were both Pharisees. When do you hear about them? When they ask for the body of Jesus. When Joseph of Arimathea gives up his tomb for Jesus. Quiet Christians who aren't in the public eye, and the Lord used them. How about Queen Esther? Queen Esther hid her Jewish heritage, didn't she? She hid her Jewish heritage until the proper time. You know, you can read and read and read. There's been numerous believers who have kept a low profile while making great contributions for the cause of Christ. And I love this quote, and I've said it many times. St. Augustine said, I spent 40 years preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and sometimes I even opened my mouth. I love that. But this drought had led to a famine which was extremely severe. So the king thought that he and Obadiah would go throughout the land trying to gather grass for the animals since there was no grass growing. Interestingly, Ahab is seeking relief from the drought, but he's not seeking the reason for the drought. He's looking for the call. Where's the, why, what's going on? I need relief. I need relief. How many of us, when we go through a problem, just want the problem to be over with? How many of us say, I want the problem to be done, instead of trying to find out more in the problem, never getting to the root of the problem? The problem keeps coming back. So Obadiah goes off his way looking, and as he's looking, he runs smack dab into our buddy Elijah. Look at 7 and 8. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go. Tell your master, Elijah is here. I like that. Tell your master, Elijah's here. So Obadiah, Elijah wants Obadiah to run and tell Ahab that he's here and he wants to speak to him. God sets up this divine appointment between Elijah and Obadiah, and I love Obadiah's response. Look, look at Obadiah's response. We're going to read 9 through 14. So he, Obadiah, said, How have I sinned that you are delivering me, your servant, into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent me looking to hunt for you. And when they said, he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I've gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I don't know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. I love that. Was it not reported to my Lord that I, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 in the cave, and fed them bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Oh, so the king has spent a long time looking for this guy, Elijah, three years. Obadiah's concern was kind of valid. You know, he said, listen, I'm going to go tell him you're here and you're going to disappear. You're going to go away again like you did before. And then I'm going to be left holding the bag. Come on. He didn't want to be responsible for this. Well, in verse 15, Elijah reassures Obadiah. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. This gave Obadiah great assurance. 
I, I love this. So let's read 16 through 19 as we finish this section. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? <laughs> and he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send all and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. I love the difference between the two receptions. Obadiah meets Elijah, falls on his face and says, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? Ahab meets Elijah and says, Oh, troubler of Israel, is that you? <laughs> There's a big difference there. Why? He blamed Elijah for the drought. He thought the drought was his fault. After all, it was because of him. He knew the terms of the covenant. He understood what was supposed to happen. He knew what he was supposed to do, but he disobeyed God's rules. What I like interesting about this, two other people in Scripture are called troublemakers. In Luke 23, 5, our Lord and Savior Jesus is called a troublemaker. And in Acts 16, 20 and 17, 6, the Apostle Paul is also called a troublemaker. I love that. But everything Elijah does is in accordance with God's word. He doesn't vary one iota from God's word, including inviting the king and confronting the prophets of Baal. So Elijah calls for this meeting. All of Israel, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Astra. Astra was supposed to be the idol wife of Baal. All right, that was Baal's wife, the ones who ate at Jezebel's table. So we come to the great challenge. We come to this great scene now taking place on Mount Carmel, this wonderful, beautiful scene. And I'm going to read all 20 verses, and then we'll come back and talk to it. I'm going to read from 20 to 40, and then we'll come back and we'll chat, okay? So Ahab sent for the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood. But put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, but no fire under it. Then you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Yeah, let's do that. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them. They prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till evening saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped up upon the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he's either God, either he's meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. <laughs> you are You've been learning from the book of 1 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Have you ever found yourself in a place like King Solomon where the temptations of the world really had a grip on you? 
With all the gimmicks of the world, it's not surprising. It's also not surprising that you're not the only one. Many struggle with the temptation of letting worldly things lead them, rather than let the things of the Lord lead. But there is hope. Just as Solomon came to recognize that all his women, wealth, and wisdom wasn't what really mattered, you too can learn that things of the world are deceiving. So rather than put your hope and faith in the things that pass away, put your hope and faith in the one who's everlasting. God is constant, he is faithful, and he will never pass away. If you missed any part of today's teachings or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you are listening, you realize that you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's Word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.